What time is it? Let me check my watch. Oh, it's bone o'clock. In olden days, a glimpse of femur was only for morbid dreamers. But you want it alone. Bring anything wrong. Two goofy gals with deathly interest go on a skeleton in quest in your headphones. Anything wrong. Hello. And welcome to Anything Bones. I'm Sophie Schwartz. And I'm Caitlin Hart. And I'm looking Sophie right in the eyeballs. Yeah, we are together for the first time actually recording this podcast ever. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Uh, but we're not in our any of our usual spots. We are on a bone retreat. Yeah, we are up in the mountains in Washington but a spitting distance away from Canada. Yeah, uh, so close that we saw a border patrol truck like pulled over on the road on the way up here. We were like, why are they here? <laughs> yeah, it that was strange. Also, four different types of law enforcement vehicles passed us with their lights on and like sirens blaring while we were driving up here. And... I I looked at Caitlin and I was like, I wonder if we'll see what what all they're going to. And she just looked at me and she was like, I hope so. <laughs> we didn't. Uh, we didn't find out, which is probably, probably better for us. Yeah. So uh, also on our drive up, we saw two different small cemeteries. Yeah, we were, they were surprises, um, so we're thinking we'll check them out on our way back. <laughs> yeah, one looked like it was just kind of a small town cemetery, and the other one looked like it was really old and decrepit, so I'm really much more interested in the second one. Yeah, the older the better, baby. Yeah, I was saying to Caitlin, the more decrepit and falling apart the grave is, the more I'm interested in it yeah i'm on board so hard yeah what other fun shenanigans uh when we got here i uh had to take a nap yeah (laughs) (laughs) because i'm a sleepy boy (laughs) and i uh so i took a nap and when we had stopped off at the grocery store to get food for our little uh camp bones trip we bought a cake to make And so while I was slumbering, I got the brilliant idea that I would bake this cake from a box. um, And I really wanted Sophie to wake up to a cake fully baked. And it was a success. (laughs) Yeah, no, it certainly was a success. I woke up and I've literally been telling everybody about it because it was the nicest act of friendship anyone's ever done for me. Well, I don't know about that, but it was... It was fun to do. And we have a whole cake, so. <laughs> yes, for for a two to three day vacation, we have an entire cake, which is great. And a, I'm excited about it. A cake on vacation hits different than a different kind of cake. Cake cake. <laughs> that makes sense. Yeah. Oh, my God. <laughs> anyway, we love cake. <laughs> yes. And we love being on vacation, which is kind of the theme of this episode is is camp bones we're we're out here in the woods we're sitting around the old campfire and we have some some bone stories to tell you yeah we're gonna spook you out so (laughs) 
Sorry, that came out wrong. Don't be afraid. Stay here with us. No, I see you standing up. You're saying you want to go back to your cabin. No, it's not time for bed. Sit your ass back down. No, no. It's time for a scary story, you fucking bitch. Yeah, and I know you're just going to go and make out with Jeremy behind the cabin. And you know, I'm a counselor. I can't just let you do that. I can't condone it, but I will uh, condone some spooky stuff. Yeah, here at Camp uh, Bones. Yeah, to entertain the people that are not making out in the bushes. Yeah, so sit down, kiddos. Unpucker your lips. Yeah. Put your chapstick uh, away. (laughs) And get ready for a little bone action. Yeah, so I'm, my name's Caitlin. (laughs) And I'm going to go first this week. This is so weird to not be just doing this into my computer. It is a little hard to be sitting here together. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) We we have one microphone. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. My sources for this were a history.com, the Smithsonian Magazine, uh, an article from Ranker, and uh, Wikipedia, of course. So my spooky story, I'm going to take it back to one of my kind of childhood fascinations or like a something creepy that I realized I was interested in a long time ago. Mm. I fucking love the movie Anastasia. And (laughs) I I know you also love it. Yes. It was definitely like when people ask, like, who was your Disney princess? Mm -hmm. Like my quote unquote Disney princess is Anastasia, even though it's not a Disney movie. But that's the one I think I watched like a million times. Yeah. It's a really intriguing story. It really like... It just drew me in as a kid. The idea that you could be, a, I guess, a princess and not even know. Yeah. You know? I, yeah, that's kind of cool. In the same way that the Princess Diaries. <laughs> has me. that effect. <laughs> yeah, but in the prin- but I feel like the we're going to learn that the origin stories of these two princesses were quite different. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, of course, I'm interested in, uh, and I'm talking about the Romanov family, and my interest in Anastasia was also kind of an interest in uh, in a good old Rasputin. Ugh, that wily son of a bitch. Yeah, I'm going to touch on him. Ugh, ugh, no one should touch on no, him. I'm going to discuss his weird ass um, in a little bit. <laughs> He's not featured heavily in this episode, although I think I could do, you could do him as a please. whole topic. Will you please do Rasputin, just Rasputin? Yeah, I think Rasputin should be a topic for me for a future episode. So I'm going <laughs> to table him for now. Just Rasputin things. Yeah. <laughs> it's girly and fun. <laughs> um, so Anastasia's father, Nicholas II, became the Tsar of Russia in 1894 after Alexander III, his father, died. Nicholas wasn't a particularly popular ruler. He, mm. he adopted some of his father's policies that people didn't like. It led to, quote, oppression and discontent throughout Russia, and then World War I hit, and so it was all bad. Basically, he wasn't a great ruler, it sounds like, and World War I happened. So eventually, during his reign, the Russian Revolution begins. And I'm going to take you back just a little bit, because here he is, Rasputin. (laughs) Rasputin so, has entered the chat. Rasputin has entered the the Bones retreat. 
everybody look around at each other and like whisper. I was and, gonna say, uh, get Rasputin out of here. He is one horny, creepy nasty. guy. Mm-hmm. He is not allowed on this, you know, femmes only bone retreat. Fair enough. Yeah. Okay. So he's described as like a religious guy. Um, <laughs> he's a, a mo- maybe a monk. Uh, a wanderer, a pilgrim. Um, he did not have any official position in the Russian Orthodox Church. He was just like, hey, I like this. I'm good at it, I guess. Somewhere between 1903 and 1905, he traveled to St. Petersburg and he got the attention of church and social leaders. And he met Emperor Nicholas and Empress Alexandra in November 1905. And not even a year later, he starts becoming the healer for the imperial couple's son, Alexei, who had hemophilia. Yeah, he wasn't he like a very kind of weak, kind of invalid son? Yeah, well, I don't think they knew what hemophilia was. Poss- I didn't actually look this up, but my guess is they didn't. It, even if they knew what it was, I'm sure they didn't know how to treat it, you know? So, yeah. But it sounds like. Rasputin did something or got lucky and kind of inserted himself into this royal family because the son had hemophilia that he could cure, question mark. I read something somewhere that like they let him chill out with the son, like just like sit with the son who was having some sort of like hemophilia incident where he was like bleeding and bleeding. And like after sitting with the son for a little while, he like stopped bleeding like great which is which is so silly to think that it would be rasputin because like the bleed (laughs) the bleeding will stop at some point right most likely most likely yeah (laughs) yeah so he's he's kind of divisive we don't we don't like him the russians don't really (laughs) like him in 1915 though nicholas ii left saint petersburg to oversee russian armies in world war one And then I guess Alexandra and Rasputin were like alone at the palace or wherever they lived, whatever it's called. And they had more influence because the czar was not around. Mm -hmm. And people did not like that one fucking bit. Shortly after that, in 1916, Rasputin was assassinated by, quote, a group of conservative noblemen who opposed his influence over Alexandra and Nicholas. Yeah, and... Let's leave the details of his assassination to your Rasputin episode. Yeah, this is where I leave. This is where I leave Rasputin. Other than to say, Rasputin's influence over the royal family kind of allegedly led to their discrediting, if Mm. that makes sense. Like his presence kind of led people to believe or contributed to the belief that the czar and his family were corrupt or didn't know what they were doing or bad leaders, whatever. I mean, like you were saying, Rasputin wasn't very popular with the public in general. And there were definitely rumors that he was sleeping with the czarina. Yeah. And rumors he was sleeping with the czarina's daughters. Mm. There were rumors that he was doing a lot of crazy shit. So I think that that you know i would agree with that probably definitely did work yeah. to decredit you know yeah the royal fa- family plus they have the royal family like 
all of this hate and fodder for the revolution has been boiling for a long time. So yeah. it's like all the all the factors are coming into play. Exactly, exactly. So that's where I truly leave Rasputin behind and will maybe revisit him <laughs> another time. That's where we stuff Rasputin in the closet. <laughs> Rasputin, get out of here. You weren't invited and you're not welcome. So he's dead, and here's where my story gets going. (laughs) Life always starts when Rasputin dies. (laughs) So Nicholas abdicated in March 1917, and by autumn, Lenin and his people had seized control of the government and turned Russia into a Soviet state. It sounds like after he abdicated, Nicholas and his family tried to get asylum in other countries. This is kind of sad. They hoped that their, quote, mutual cousin, King George V of the UK, uh, would take them in. But I guess their, like, poor reputation contributed. Yeah, they just had this bad reputation, so nobody would take them in and they just stayed in Russia. That's kind of, that's kind of a bummer. (laughs) Yeah. So by summer 1918, the Tsar, the Tsarina, and their five children, Olga, Tatiana, Maria, Anastasia, and Alexei, are imprisoned. And this is Russian, so here we go. Uh, They're imprisoned at Impetive House in Ekaterinburg, Russia? Question mark. And they were captured by Bolsheviks. So the Bolsheviks and Lenin, I guess, thought that the czar, the former czar at this point, posed a threat to their authority because people could potentially rally behind him. Mm -hmm. So they were moved around a lot, but then eventually they were relocated to this house in a city by the Ural Mountains in Russia. And then here's where, here's where it gets shitty. This even more shitty. This story just gets worse and worse and worse. This is what a scary story is, folks. So on July 17th, 1918, the Romanov family and their servants were brutally murdered. We know this. And I guess I didn't really put this together, but most likely the orders came from Lenin himself. Wow. I mean that that does make that does make sense. Yeah. Like you were saying even them just being alive is fodder for people who are like loyalists to mm-hmm. the royals to like stand behind them and keep some sort of hope that they'll return. Right, exactly. So actually when news of the family's murder came out, Bolsheviks were like, yeah, we killed the czar, but they didn't actually admit to killing the rest of the family, which they definitely did. So, all in all, the murder took about 20 minutes. Hmm. And I guess the guy that was in charge of that was a guy named Yakov Yurovsky. So, they they started by gathering everybody in the basement and then shooting everybody. But then they ended up having to use the butts of their guns, their knives, and, like, quote, brute force uh, to finish off the Romanovs and their children. The czar probably died first. I don't know why they know that. And then this is something I remember hearing as a kid that scared the shit out of me. So a lot of the daughters had clothing that had jewels sewn into it. So they, that's why it took a while to kill them because those jewels made the bullets bounce off of them, I guess. Yeah, they had sewn so much jewelry into their dresses that when they went to shoot them... 
it acted almost like a bulletproof vest, yeah, unfortunately yeah. for them, because for, it, yeah. it meant Ugh. that they got a more violent and brutal end. Yeah, they were. All, it was already horrible, and then to make matters worse, you know. The only survivor of the execution was a dog named Joy, so we don't like that at all. <sighs> I don't think, I don't know. Irony, no. <laughs> that Joy survived? Yeah. <laughs> Moving on. So now we've got all these bodies piled up in the basement and the Bolsheviks have a task. How are they going to get rid of all these bodies? So they take them into the forest by the Ural Mountains, strip them down. They take the jewelry and they put them in like a mine shaft or like, I don't really understand I think they just kind of threw them into this like big yeah. deep well pit. Thing. Well, they so the grave they they put them they tried to put them in a mine, but I guess it was too shallow. So they tried to collapse the mine with grenades, <laughs> but it didn't work. Yeah. Um, and at the same time, the bodies are covered in like acid, and they tried to tried to obscure their identities, obviously. So that, so plan A does not work at all. Um, so they're trying to find another like place to bury these poor people. And then I guess they just find another place that's not so shallow in the woods. And the Imperial family is buried there for several decades. And just to make matters even worse, and I didn't know this, the Bolsheviks went on a crazy fucking like murder rampage after this and killed every Romanov that they could find. Like, not just the immediate family. My sources said that 27 others were killed within 84 days. That's insane. So they went and they found, like, cousins. Everybody. Oh my gosh. They, They just didn't want there to be any way that there could be an uprising led by the Romanovs, I guess. Well, that makes sense. Because what if, you know, I'm third cousin of the king and I come back and I go, hey, I'm third cousin of the king. I'm a royal. And Mm -hmm. all the royal loyalists are like, they're third cousin from the king. Let's support them. Yeah. And it's like, no, they're, yeah, they're all just dead. They were wiped (sighs) off, wiped off the face of the earth. That's sad for those, those more distant relatives because... You know, those aren't people with that. I wouldn't imagine that, you know, so-and-so's distant cousin is has a lot of power. And no. So I mean, just, no, none yeah. of these people deserved this at all. So nothing happens until 1979. That's when the remains of the Tsar, the Tsarina, and three of the children are found. But they that discovery remains a secret for years. Whoa. So only after the Soviet Union disintegrates and, you know, fucking people start spilling their guts, Mm -hmm. then, so remains are found in 1979, flash forward to 1991, and they're actually exhumed. So over 10 years later. Wait, so did they just, were they just where they were, where they were buried by the Bolsheviks in between the time of being discovered and being... Exhumed, yeah, I guess. Yes, they just stayed there. Oh, that's brutal. <laughs> and this is has a funny connection to a topic from last week's episode. They used DNA from Prince Philip to oh, confirm wow. the identities of these bones because I guess he's a distant relative of the Romanovs. All those all those fucking European royals just were marrying and, and fucking and fighting each other. 
so at this point, this is when we find out that two of the bones or the two sets of remains are missing, presumably two of the kids. Mm -hmm. And this was always, <laughs> this is where the movie fucking Anastasia comes in. This is where all this stuff comes in. Um, don't fail me now. Courage, don't desert me. Don't turn back now that we're here. There's no way we can play or sing anymore. Any more of that, yeah. <laughs> without getting some kind of letter or something. Yeah. <laughs> So I guess there was a theory that, you know, somebody was was still had survived this massacre. This is something that was sort of fueled by the lack of official acknowledgement about the executions and just the sort of shady behavior of the Soviet or the, the Russians. Sorry. Yeah. The Soviets. No, no. Sorry. The shady behavior of the Bolshevik weirdos. So the... Most famous imposter who claimed to be Anastasia is a woman named Anna Anderson, um, mm. who, yeah, she claimed to be Anastasia. But it actually turns out that Maria and Alexei were the ones that were, like, missing from the rest of their family. Interesting. I mean, it sometimes says Anastasia, sometimes says Maria, so that's kind of interchanged, but they were probably... I mean, this is kind of sad, but they were probably around the same size and like, yeah, that's so it's probably, we maybe won't ever know. <laughs> yeah, unfortunately. And it doesn't really matter either way because they weren't missing because they were alive. They were missing because they were buried in a slightly different place. So this was discovered in 2007. A guy named, who was an amateur archaeologist, which like, Hello, you have, you found the find of the century. Yeah. Sergei Plotnikov, he finds the remains of the two children about 230 feet away from the rest of the family or where they, the family was found. The bones were in a similar condition to the other ones that had been exhumed years ago. They clearly hadn't died peacefully because they were covered in acid. They had tr apparently been burned. It did, they didn't find bullet holes, I guess, upon first inspection, but it was very clear that the bones were in the same kind of state. Sorry. So it was clear, though, that the bones had been treated in the same way as the other family members. And <laughs> DNA testing at the time confirms the authenticity of these other remains. Yeah. <laughs> and here's kind of the last batshit crazy part of the story. So... <laughs> Orthodox church leaders, like, contest the findings of the DNA for some reason. Um, but so in 1998, the remains of the, you know, the Tsar, Tsarina, the three children were interred in St. Petersburg. But I guess the church refused to give them their full, like, burial rites. Hmm. The bones got analyzed again in 2007 when the two children's bones were discovered because they were just like, oh, let's just do this all at once, I guess. And they again found like, yeah, these are definitely the bones of the Romanovs. Like there's, there's no chance that there's really no chance that anybody else, like it, there's really no chance that these bones belong to anybody else. But the church still refuses to like recognize the remains saying that they need to be really sure about the validity of the remains, even though they keep getting DNA tested and the authenticity is proved over and over and over. I guess the family was canonized in 2000. So their bones are relics. 
So it, yeah, this is just kind of weird. I don't know if I put any stock into this, but some people think that the church dragged its feet, quote, because it was an attempt by the church to court Vladimir Putin and his government who have suggested rehabilitating the Romanov monarchy. So I don't know. I guess that in 2015, the czar's remains are exhumed again for final testing and another time, once again, we get the same information confirmed. I'm not sure what the latest on that is because uh, the last reporting stuff was in 2015. But as far as I know, the two children's remains are still being held in a Russian state archive. They're not buried with their family. And there's just some weird stuff with the church and recognizing these people's bones or, yeah, or I don't really understand what's going on there. Well, I just wonder what sort of testing they would qualify as valid because you don't get, you know, at right now, like you don't get any better type of, you know, identification than DNA, especially yeah. from, you know from a legit relative i think i actually think you know it must be politically motivated yeah it's something political or just bureaucratic something or other you know but yeah that's the romanovs <laughs> um thank you for going on that journey with me it's a really sad story uh the story of the romanovs but I've wanted to do that one probably since we started this podcast, so. Yeah, I think that is a subject that, like, you and I had talked a little bit about before we even had this podcast. Of mm -hmm. like, oh, did you know this about the Romanov death? Yeah. Oh, did you know that about the Romanov death? And I think it's one of the OG things where we were both like, oh, we have this interest in common. Yeah. And we both freaking love this film. And, like, to kind of touch back on... Rasputin, he's portrayed in that film with a lot of bony aspects oh, to him. for the love of God, those, like, nasty little bugs and weird gremlins that he has, like... And the fact ugh. that, like, his head falls down into his, like, chest cavity yeah. and his, like, head is in his, like, stomach looking up at his, like, lungs and ribs just being like, woe is me, but... Honestly, I feel that way sometimes. Yeah, I just want to turtle into myself, yeah. Rasputin style. Yes. Wanna... No, no, I don't. I don't want anything to do with Rasputin, other than that he was voiced by the fabulous Christopher Lloyd in that movie. Yeah, a favorite of ours. But yeah, it sounds like the, the Romanoffs experience kind of the ultimate horrific cabin in the woods style murder. Yeah, are you scared, kids? <laughs> I am. <laughs> oh, okay. Good. I mean, maybe not. I don't know. In the dark of the night, evil will find you. Ooh, wow. Ooh. Dark of the night, evil will... Ooh. That's all I got. Yeah. <laughs> Let me get readjusted here. Yeah. Make... Caitlin and I have created a um, backwoods MacGyver studio in the little loft in the top of the Airbnb that we're staying in. And I have lined it with pillows and blankets to try to muffle the sound. So if you hear a little bit of echo, it's because there's damn wooden floors down there. Yeah. Um, Creaking. Uh, you might have just heard me adjusting myself because we are sitting on the floor and mama doesn't like it. Yeah. I made mama sit on the floor and she hates me for it, but it's <laughs> I don't fine. Hate you. <laughs> I said you could sit on a cushion. Yeah, but I would be so far away from the mic. 
<laughs> I roll my eyes at you. <laughs> you want me to sound good. It's good for both of us if I sound good. Yes. I want you to sound I always want you to sound good. <laughs> Let's let's do this. Okay, so this is a bonanza. It's not a bonanza. What am I talking about? Oh my god! <laughs> I have vacation brain. Yeah, that's but that, okay. But that's what it is. We're at Camp Bones, and I'm so glad that we're here taking this type of vacation because I want to talk to you about the type of vacation I would never take. Oh, we're gonna be talking about deaths on cruise ships. Fuck. <laughs> I will say my sources really quickly, buckle up, because there's a couple. <laughs> so I have an article from anetv.com, an extremely helpful article from emmacruises.com. That's a cruise-related blog. And if after this segment, you do, for some ungodly reason, want to go on a cruise, please visit her blog to make sure you are prepared to do so. An article from The Thrillist, two articles from express.co.uk, a document from justice.gov, and a Wikipedia article, and an article from Insider. Future Sophie here. This topic was suggested to me by my wonderful older brother, Matt, who was on the show. If you want to check out his episode, he has a lot of fun EMT stories, but let's hear about cruises. All right, so I would like to start this segment off with a quote. Quote, a cruise ship is a floating city with thousands of people on board serving unlimited drinks with no police. <laughs> oh God. <laughs> this is said by Kendall Carver, who is the chairman of the International Cruise Victims Association, whose very own daughter, Marin Carver, disappeared in 2004 from a celebrity cruise to Alaska and has actually never been found. He says, quote, what do you think is going to happen? It's not a crime-free area. Passengers need to use common sense. That's not the attitude I think you need to be having in that position. I know. Like, like uh, what can you expect? We're, people are fucked. Like, you need to be smart. Like, what? You're on a boat. Like, shouldn't you be carefree? I mean, you should be, but apparently his tactic is that you gotta know the dangers before you cruise. That's on, like, the lighter side, I guess, of um, victim blaming yes. to me. Yeah. But I think, you know, the man probably has a chip on his shoulder. I guess. Okay, continue. Okay. So how many people die on cruise ships each year? <laughs> I don't know. A dozen. Do you want to take a guess? A dozen. A dozen? A lot of sources are going to go ahead and tell you that it's about 200 people. Excuse me? <laughs> Jesus. It's not funny. I don't know why I'm laughing. I'm nervous. Because it's shocking. It is, yeah. And many people estimate that the number is probably higher oh. because not a lot of cruise ships uh, f are bound by the authority to share their death statistics accurately. There are a lot of different rules and regulations around how cruise ships are like registered under different different nations. So if you're going on a cruise ship, it's always best to kind of check what country your cruise ship is registered in and what their restrictions around cruise ships are like, because those are the regulations your cruise ship will be following, not the regulations from the country you are from. Shit. So 
The majority of deaths that occur on cruise ships are from natural causes. Sure. uh, But there are also accidents, murders, suicides, and overdoses. Mm -hmm. And one cruise ship worker on Reddit claimed that at least three deaths occur per month in the cruise ship industry. But people tend to calculate it a little higher. Emma Cruises does a bit of math for us. She says there are approximately 30 million people who cruised in 2019. And assuming each took that cruise for about a week, that means there are about 500,000 guests at sea at any time. Mm -hmm. 200 deaths out of 30 million yearly passengers equates to about one in 150,000 guests. So there are about three-fourths deaths per week. Ew. Okay. I don't like those odds. Let me say this also. It is extremely unlikely that you will die on a cruise ship if you go on a cruise. Death on cruise ships is very unlikely. And that's kind of why we're talking about it is because the situation has to be a bit bonkers for you to die on a cruise ship because a lot of cruise ships are super focused on safety. Well, yeah, and it's just so, like, it's so scary because, like, they can't be, uh, obviously, they're, it's an insular place, a cruise, so if you've searched the whole boat, they, they're nowhere. They're in the water, and now they're completely gone. You'll yeah. never find them, so it's just really scary and fascinating and morbid. <laughs> Goodbye. <laughs> hey, no, come back. That's our <laughs> podcast. Oh, yeah, that's right. That's where we live. That's the house we built. <laughs> um, so cruise ships are legally legally required to carry body bags and maintain a morgue. I want to go on a cruise just so that I can find the morgue. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe if you're nice, a crew member will show you. <laughs> Would a crew member think that was just the creepiest question? Like, hey. Can I give you 20 bucks and you show me where the morgue is? <laughs> like the fake morgue or where you would put a body? Like, I want to see those body bags, sir. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. It seems like cruise people are kind of loosey-goosey. Like, I, I was reading something that I was reading, like, on Reddit, some, like, you know, true confessions of a cruise worker, you know, some seasoned, you know, crew member who had gone on, you know, so, so many cruises for years mm-hmm. was like, yeah, you know, all the... All the crew members are banging. They are likely having parties while you are having parties. And the people working your parties are really mad because they're not partying with their friends. <laughs> I'm thinking like a dirty dancing kind of style. Like all the hotel employees are exactly. grinding in the basement. Yeah, it's it's like a it's a it's an orgy on the poop deck. <laughs> oh my god, gross. Okay, back to this. So these morgues, of course, vary with the size of the ship, but they usually hold between six to ten bodies. Hopefully you don't (laughs) ever need that much space. Well. Oh, God. (laughs) So this woman, Tina Molson, who is a seasoned cruise ship worker, she worked on board in a duty-free shop from 2002 to 2010, and she has a lovely quote that says, quote, there was often a death on board. On one ship, we had a, a shop storeroom next to the freezer room where the bodies were stored. We called it the coffin locker. Oh, Jesus. Yeah. And if for some reason on a ship you are having more death than your morgue can accommodate, they have had to get creative in the past. 
can you just go to shore? Like, and... Sometimes, no. Oh, okay, okay. Sometimes you can't get to shore. If you're out in the middle of nowhere and, you know, Joe Schmo has his last margarita, there's got to be a place for him to live. Okay, I mean, or to be dead. Yes, yes. You can't just chuck him over the side. No, you cannot just chuck him over the side. So an ex-cruise ship employee was quoted as saying, quote, there are small refrigerators on the ship's that, from memory, could take one or two corpses, but the contingency plan was to use the walk-in freezer. With the food? Well, there's a rumor that if you're on a cruise and suddenly they're giving out a lot of free ice cream... (gasps) They need to make space in the freezer. Yeah! That is sick. (laughs) It's it's such a double-edged sword because me, I would be sitting there going, hell yeah, free ice cream! Hell no, more morgue space. Yeah, yeah, I, that's smart. That's good. That's good marketing, I guess. I mean, it's it's not marketing. It's just a rumor. Let me you say know? it again. I I confused myself. That's good business. That's good business. Okay, so like we were talking about before, top causes for deaths on cruise ships are natural causes, suicides, incidents of passengers falling overboard, overdoses, and murder. A murder most foul. A murder most foul. So when somebody beefs it on a cruise ship, you may hear the announcement Operation Bright Star, or you might hear Oscar Oscar which means that someone has gone overboard. So the very first thing that the cruise ship is going to try to do, kind of like you said, Caitlin, is they want to get that body off the boat. Mm -hmm. They don't want it there. (laughs) So the first thing they're going to try to do is find a port that is capable of taking your body and willing to accept it. And then whatever port country you end up housing the body in, that's the country that will issue the death certificate. And then after that, you have to deal with repatriation of the body. Oh, yeah. Because you've died abroad, which is difficult to do. (laughs) Yeah, you got to get back somehow. You got to get back somehow. Can't do it for yourself. No, you can't, which is sad. So most cruise ships actually maintain a team of people whose job it is to help families with repatriation of bodies that die at sea. And they help with contacting a funeral home, making travel arrangements, dealing with insurance, and also working with like local authorities. And some cruises even offer religious support. There's a there's wow. a there's a company called Apostleship of Sea, which provides Catholic maritime ministers and priests to cruise lines. Wow. Uh that is so niche. I was thinking as you were talking. I wonder, I really hope that that's not somebody's only job on the cruise ship is like the death coordinator. I really hope that's just something they were trained on and they don't have to do very often. It sounds like maybe it's, it's kind of both. It sounds like it's, there are some cruise ships where it's like, yeah, I'm the guy who deals with if somebody beefs it. But it also sounds like it might be, you know, like you said, another, just a part of someone's larger job. Yeah, yeah. So a body can hang out on the cruise ship morgue for about three days and that kind of allows the ship to figure out what port it's going to and if it needs to change its, you know, route. Mm -hmm. And family and friends of, of the deceased are welcome to depart their journey earlier 
Or you can do what Bob Schaefer did with his mother. Marion, his mother, passed away early into an, a 114-day cruise in 2009. And so what he ended up doing was having her cremated in the next available port and bringing the cremated remains along with him for the rest of his trip. Hey, you, you, yeah, that's, I get it. That's sweet, almost. It's sad, well, but yeah. can, she still got to go. Well, the quote, I really like there's a quote from him that says, quote, I know she would want me to go on. Yeah. No, I bet she would. I bet yeah. they were looking forward to that for a long time. Yeah. So it's it's nice that she also got to finish the cruise. Yeah. Oh, that's touching. Yeah. So as you might imagine, there are a lot of deaths of the elderly mm-hmm. on these ships. Sure. I think... I don't need to totally say it, but I guess that I will, that uh, the stereotype is that a lot of old people go on cruises. That's kind of the main demographic, you know, people who can afford it, maybe retired. are retired. Yep. Yeah, because you're not going to get my 40-hour-a-week working ass on a cruise. <laughs> a weekend cruise around Lake Washington. Yeah, I was going to say, from my car to the lake and then back. <laughs> So another quote from Tina Molson, the seasoned, I'm going to call her the seasoned deckhand <laughs> who worked at a duty-free shop. She says, quote, many of the older passengers go on cruise ships for months because it's cheaper for them than living at home. Some even go to sea to die. Oh. But can, but I mean, if, if that's, if that's what you love, wouldn't you want to beef it on the deck of a beautiful cruise ship? Yeah, I guess so. Content warning for this section, we're going to be discussing suicide very briefly. If that is something that you want to skip, go ahead and skip forward about a minute. So I just want to touch on this very quickly, but there are suicides on these ships. Some people do fall victim to suicide on these ships, and it's not just passengers. It can also be crew members. There were... A few instances of this happening in some of these stranded ships during the beginning of COVID because people were not, people were not told how long they'd be on these ships, if they'd ever see their families again, if they were doomed to die from a, from a mysterious disease on one of these ships. Like I can't even imagine what that would do to someone's mental health. No, that was so, I mean, when COVID hit, it was so scary, but just imagining the people that were on cruise ships at the time, like. I feel terrible for those people. Yeah. But I did look into a little bit of what what might happen if you go overboard Mm. on a cruise ship. And it's actually a little encouraging. Nice. Because if you do go overboard, the cruise ship will stop. Cool. And they will turn around. Nice. And they will look for you. (laughs) And... Other ships that are in the area will get the signal to also look for you. And your chances of falling overboard on a cruise ship are roughly 1 in 1.4 million. Yeah, you, yeah. So it's pretty, they've got some grade A railings on those things. But, you know, if you do go over the side, they will look for you. Now... I bring you what you came for. Please. These are, this is some murders and disappearances from cruise ships. Yep. I know that that's what you were waiting for. Please. I saw it on your face. (laughs) So although cruise ship murders are incredibly rare, I want to say this again, they are incredibly rare. Um, They do happen. They absolutely happen. But most likely these, and I don't know if this is comforting, 
or not. But these murders are committed by a person who the victim knows, and they are the majority of these cruise ship murders involve arguments that escalate and are the products of previous abuse. So in a lot of these, I read a few of these cases, and you know, a lot of them are people that people went on the cruise with. Yeah. Which is like, oh, fucking chilling. What's interesting about it is that a lot of these murders are not planned. It seems like a lot of people don't plan to murder someone on a cruise ship. It's just like, oh, hey, this happened. And, you know, it's an opportunity. And mm-hmm. and guns are not allowed on any type of cruise ship. Yeah. So usually the murders are stabbings or pushing the victim into the ocean from the ship. Mm. God. So one case that I'm going to talk about is a case from 2017. In that year, Christy and Kenneth Menzanares are taking a cruise to Alaska on board the Emerald Princess. Christy is 39 years old. She's a mother of three and was traveling on the cruise with her husband and her three daughters. According to court documents, Kenneth and Christy became involved in a verbal argument about Kenneth's behavior that evening. And during this argument, Christy started saying that she wanted to get a divorce and told him to get off the boat at Juneau in order for him to go back home to Utah. She did not want him on the boat anymore. Two of their daughters were in the room, and so Kenneth told their children to leave the room and go to an adjoining, like a relative's adjoining cabin. And then a few minutes later, they both heard Christy scream, and they tried to get back into the cabin, but they couldn't, of course. So they go to the adjoining door, and they hear Kenneth say to them, don't come in. Oh, God. Yeah. And they both go to the connected balcony, and they see Kenneth straddling Christy, beating her in the head with closed fists. The kids. Yeah. Ugh. So before security officers get to the cabin, Christy's brother and father get there and they see Kenneth grabbing Christy's body and trying to drag her over to the balcony, trying to throw her off. Nope. Can't hide from this bitch. Nope. Christy's brother says, fuck you. And he didn't say fuck you, but in my head he does and grabs her ankles and pulls her back into the cabin. And then after that, around 9.03 PM ship security got there and medical personnel as well and they tried to perform life-saving measures on christy but they were unfortunately unsuccessful and it was determined that christy was killed by blunt force trauma to her head and face so she was beaten to death yeah by this man so kenneth faces a maximum sentence of life in prison and a fine of up to two hundred fifty thousand dollars U.S. Attorney Brian Schroeder announced on Friday, February 7th, 2020, that Kenneth, 42 of Santa Clara, Utah, pleaded guilty to one count of murder in the second degree for killing his wife, Christy, aboard the Emerald Princess. So he he has yet to be uh, sentenced, I believe, but he did plead guilty. He did it. Of course he fucking did it. The very last thing we're going to talk about is a disappearance. Oh my god. Because one of the things that's the most fascinating about cruise ships is how people just disappear off of them. There are so many stories, and we got to do maybe a part two on this, 
of disappearances from cruise ships because it is insane how many people disappear from what is essentially a closed loop. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Where is there to go other than the ocean? So yeah, we exactly. know where they are, but... And or not. I don't know. Continue. <laughs> you know, it, it's hard because either they're on the o- they're in the ocean or they're on the boat. But in this case, you know, you'll see this person was neither. Okay. So we're going to be talking about Rebecca Coram, who was a British crew member on the cruise ship Disney Wonder. Shit. I know. I cloaked it a little bit, but this is Disney related. Yes. Caitlin loves Disney. Yes. So Rebecca worked on the Disney cruise ship Wonder, and she was captured by CCTV in the crew lounge having a phone conversation that appeared to be causing her emotional difficulty. Several hours later, she missed the beginning of her shift and could not be found anywhere on the ship or off the coast of Mexico. Weird. Mm-hmm. Her disappearance was one was the first incident like this to happen to the Disney cruise line. Sure. So she was born on March 11th, 1987, and she started working for Disney Cruises in 2010 and was assigned to the Disney ship Wonder. In March of 2011, the day the ship left Los Angeles, she sends a message to her parents saying that she's going to call them the next day. At 9 a.m. that morning on the Wonder, she missed the start of her shift and was not in her room or anywhere else on the ship, and she did not respond to pages over the the ship's public address system. And, and then they find this CCTV footage of her time stamped at 5.45 a.m., and an unverified account from another crew member said that she had gone overboard at 3 a.m. What? Yeah. A crew member's like, oh, she went overboard. Yeah, but she was seen. Er, she was seen later. After that, okay. Yeah. What the fuck? So in this video, Rebecca is is talking to one of the ships. Is talking on one of the ship's internal phones in the crew area, and she seems really, really stressed out. A young man walks up to her and appears to ask if she's okay. Uh, she says she's all right. You can clearly see. Stop. A notification on my computer keeps popping up right in the middle of my damn fucking notes. So a young man walks up to her and appears to ask her if she's okay. Her mouth can clearly be seen saying, yeah, fine. And then after that, she hangs up the phone. She then walks away, pushing her hair back and putting her hands in her pockets, which is a mannerism that her parents say is like common for her. So it's not, so she seemed distressed on the phone but she seems more casual walking away. And then after this phone call, there's no more record of her anywhere on the ship. Fuck. So the crew searches the ship, and the U.S. Coast Guard and and Mexican Navy search the surrounding international waters, and they find nothing. Since the wonder is registered in the Bahamas, a detective from the Royal uh, Bahamas Police Force flew to the ship to investigate once it was returned to Los Angeles three days after the disappearance. He says that he undertook several days of onboard investigation. Well, Rebecca's parents are flown out to England to meet the ship when it returns because they're English. And they meet with this member of the Royal Bahamas Police Force. And he said that he had spent only one day on board investigating before flying home. 
The detective also told him that he had only interviewed a few crew members and none of the passengers. And the Coriams, Rebecca's family, claimed that Disney kept them in a car with blacked out windows and brought them on board via a little used side entrance after all the passengers had disembarked. So Disney is really trying to sweep them under the rug, even though their ship was the last place these people's daughter was was seen alive. Yeah, the, the, the police should be doing something. It sounds like Sky maybe didn't do his job properly or didn't have time to do in full, a full investigation or... Or wasn't really motivated enough by Disney to do it. Yeah, maybe. So the Wonders captain, of course, gives them condolences and he expresses his theory that Rebecca had been washed overboard by a wave while hanging out by the crew pool. And her parents don't think that this theory is right because if you go and look at the walls around this pool, they're pretty high. So it's very hard for um, for waves to get that high. Well, yeah, and you that, that's something people would fucking see, right? Like just a huge wave that is able to knock somebody off the ship like i can't believe that that would happen and she was the only person that saw it or that it would cause more damage to the ship yeah but what's really kind of chilling about this is that on the day before the first anniversary of her disappearance so a year later her father gets an email from a woman who claims that she has seen rebecca with a dark-haired man on the street in venice that like the previous august and she says she's 85% sure it was Rebecca. Uh, uh, great. <laughs> I'm not liking those odds. Yeah, the family is skeptical about it. And her uncle says that it's very upsetting for everyone to think that she could be out there somewhere all this time. So in this investigation, there is a woman named Melissa, who, who Melissa in quotes, um, who is, you know, an anonymous crew member. So we're just going to call her Melissa. So Melissa, who had last seen Rebecca at 11 p.m. the previous night, said that she believed that Rebecca went out to the crew pool, which was one of her pl- favorite places to chill and be alone. And while there, she might have climbed up and sat on the wall and then fallen off because she was known a little bit to be kind of a risk taker, mm. a little bit of a daredevil. Yeah. Um, But Melissa is also very dismissive of the suggestion that these flip-flops that were found near the pool that were given to her family even belonged to Rebecca. Like, these flip-flops are supposed to be the evidence that Rebecca was by this pool. Hmm. But these flip-flops are, they're like pink with Hawaiian print and and none of her friends had ever seen them. Hmm. You know, her wearing them and they're not her style. Also, her parents claim that these flip-flops are too small to have been hers, but they weren't able to match these flip-flops to anyone on the ship either, which is weird. What the fuck? I know, but they have no forensic evidence to like link them to her either. So it's noted in that video of the phone call, the CCTV video of the phone call, that Rebecca's clothes also appear very large, and her friends and family may speculate that she's actually wearing somebody else's clothes. So they want to know who those clothes might belong to because that could be a subject. Yeah, did uh, did they ever find out who she was on the phone with? I think they did. I think they suspect it was a a girlfriend, uh-huh. like her girlfriend, like romantic girlfriend. Yeah. That she had an extremely intense relationship with. 
and was possibly heard like having this distressing phone conversation. So they think that it may be having to do with that, that it was possibly another crew member she was having a like romantic or sexual relationship with. Mm. But those are kind of the two main theories because a lot of people believe that she was assaulted or murdered like because of the way that she was acting and the way that there are all these inconsistencies in the reports both from Disney and from like crew members inconsistencies of like I saw her go overboard at such and such time but you can clearly see her in footage like two three hours later yeah so it's very so it's very mucky and Disney, for their part, say that they defer to the Royal Bahamas Police Force. They say, quote, they have told us the investigation is ongoing. They have not shared a timeline with us either. The spokesperson refuses to comment on specifics about whether or not there was a tape of the phone call or additional security camera footage. Disney says, quote, we wish we knew what happened as much as anyone else. Rebecca's disappearance has been difficult and heartbreaking for everyone. Yeah, that's... These cases are so hard. They're so fascinating, but they're so hard because these family members don't have closure. No. And nobody does. And, I, I mean, how can somebody just disappear into thin air? That just... That's the craziest thing. Well, yeah, because they checked, you know... They're the crew, so they check every nook and cranny of this ship, oh, and they yeah. know it better than anyone else. So how could they not find her if she was on there? Yeah. And they had yeah. two different governments of Navy looking for this woman, and they they still were not able to find her in the water either. So, you know, to me, it's, you know, it's a matter of, like, did she meet some sort of violent end? Was she indeed swept out to sea? Like, did something happen at the pool? Because there are a lot of instances of people getting tossed overboard, like, you know, while they were drunk. Like, what if she was passed out or vulnerable in some way and was tossed over the side? Like, there there are so many different things. You know, I'm skeptical of this wave theory. I would like to know what was said on that phone call. Yeah, but that's part of why it's this case will probably never be solved i'm sorry to say because of the crime scene where it happened like it's so big but it and the ocean and is it, even bigger and, and it wasn't yeah. investigated until three days yeah and what after. can be what can be done now there's no evidence now yeah because what can be done in three days mm-hmm. a lot a lot and yeah who I wonder exactly when they got divers in the water or started searching, you know, the waters and if they searched far enough or, yeah. I mean, just who knows? This is crazy. Like like you said, we'll probably never have the answer to this one, unfortunately. And that's the case with so many of these cruise ship disappearances because what happens out on that big, terrible, vast expanse can go without consequence. Yeah. Which is terrifying to me. Let's stay on land. Everybody get traveler's insurance, please. <laughs> please get traveler's insurance. We don't have it right now for this trip. No, but, but 
we don't really but if you're going anywhere out of the country or if you're going on a fucking cruise ship please for the love of god a don't go on a cruise ship and b get traveler's insurance (laughs) (laughs) and don't go alone yeah don't go alone or you know as uh, emma cruising said on her blog pick your cruise mates wisely yeah definitely oh yeah don't yeah don't let's, let's stay don't, don't cruise with people with anger issues apparently um well i that was so much fun i feel like this <laughs> campfire has been both terrifying and illuminating yeah i hope you're thoroughly shivered um <laughs> i hope you didn't eat too many s'mores uh no seriously uh something really cool other than us being on vacation right now uh this is our 30th episode yeah the big three zero the big three zero and we just want to thank you guys for sticking with us you know we love our boneheads we love seeing you guys you know liking the pictures on instagram and sending us fun bone memes that you find out in the world yes keep them coming um yeah we'll put them on our story if you send us a fun bone meme um we'll definitely put it on our story yeah and if you ever think oh this is a really cool topic i wish they would cover this on the show you can dm us you can email us anythingbonespodcast at gmail.com or if you go to our website which is anythingbonespodcast.squarespace.com you can submit stories there. Sophie and I are touching toes. <laughs> and um... <laughs> if you strap a missive to the back of a raven, I'm sure it'll get to me. Yeah, we put out a call for carrier pigeons that was unanswered earlier. Yeah. So <laughs> the, the biggest disappointment of my life. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, we love you, Boneheads. Thanks for listening. Thanks, Sophie, for being my best bud. Yeah, of course. Thank you for being my best bud. Yeah, let's go eat some cake. Yeah, okay, campers, I want you all in bed by 11. I don't want to see anyone walking from cabin to cabin. I'm looking at you, Ronald, and you, Elizabeth. (laughs) All right, everybody lights out at 12, okay? We love you, boneheads. Bone voyage. Bone voyage. Thanks for listening to Anything Bones. Follow us on Instagram or Facebook at Anything Bones Podcast or email us at anythingbonespodcast at gmail.com. Thank you to Nick Kruger for our spooky music and Stephen Vetteroff at Chubby Scrubby on Twitter for our jazzy vocals. And thank you to Camilla Franklin at Camilla Strader on Instagram for our beautiful bony artwork. Please rate, review, and subscribe. Hey, I see you. There behind that bush. Come out from behind that bush, camper. What are you doing with that roll of toilet paper? Why are you standing outside the camp director's cabin? Uh Uh-huh, a little bone prank. Well, I never saw nothing.